Love's world in sports. Be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. All right? Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. And welcome to Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I hope everybody's having a safe and happy Thanksgiving weekends, Thanksgiving week, whenever you're listening to this podcast. I hope, I hope everybody is being safe. I hope everybody's doing what they need to do to remain safe. I hope everybody's keeping the six feet apart. I hope everybody's wearing the mask when they need to. I hope everybody is not social gathering. I understand that Thanksgiving is a time for coming together, family and friends and everything, but... 2020 has been such a horrible year. 2020 has been such a terrible year with the pandemic. Uh, in that related sense, I hope everybody's doing what they need to do to make sure that there can be many Thanksgivings going forward and not sacrifice your health, not sacrifice the health of others to uh, selfishly only think about trying to get together on this Thanksgiving weekend or Thanksgiving day. So whenever you're listening to this podcast, I always say during the year, we have 365 days in a year, right? I think a couple of days, you should always look back, no matter what your lot in life is, no matter what you're doing in life, no matter how much you feel that someone owes you something or life owes you something or you should be getting this or any materialistic things or anything like that, any losses that you've had and everything, no matter how dire the situation, no matter how dire your environment is, no matter how horrible you feel that your life might be at a certain time in your life, that you should always, at least for a couple of days, say, you know what? I'm breathing, I'm walking, I'm living, I'm here. At least for today, that's good enough. I might not have anybody with me. I might not have this materialistic things that I think I should have. I might not have the amount of money that I should have. I might not even be in a better situation mentally, physically than I was two weeks ago, three weeks ago, one year ago, five years ago. But you know what, goddammit, I'm here and I still have the ability to fight. And I still have the ability to work. And I still have the ability to make a dream come true if I work hard enough. So, you know what? On Friday, uh, November 27th, I'll go back to being pessimistic. I'll go back to the glass is half empty. But at least for, you know, a couple of hours today, Thanksgiving, I'm going to thank whoever you, you know, whether you thank Jehovah or, or Jesus or nobody. That, um, you know, thank you very much for giving me this day. Thank you very much for giving me the ability to see another day because nobody is promised tomorrow. So that's my always been my what's up. That's always been my words of wisdom. That's always been my special dedication for those um, during this time period. This is uh, coming up on three years since my dad has died. He died on the 27th of November three years ago. So this has been kind of bittersweet for me, but, you know. I know that my dad lived a great life. I know that my dad uh, is in a better place, and he's just waiting for my mom to join him. So, um, you know, he had a great life, and uh, those are some of the things that I reflect on during this time. Um, the fact that, you know, I'm here in Vegas, my mom is in Maryland, so this year we don't have the opportunity to see each other because of the pandemic and other things. So, you know, I'm still happy. I'm still grateful that she's still alive. I'm still grateful that uh, I'm still alive. 
and I'm grateful that uh, I'm able to go ahead and do something that I absolutely love to do, which is do podcasts for, I don't care if it's one million people listening to this episode or it's just me. just gives me the opportunity to go ahead and do my thing. I very much appreciate that. So the fact that the Lord has given me the talent, the Lord has given me the ability, the Lord has given me a privilege to see another day to go ahead and do this, record this, publish it, is something that I'm awfully, awfully thankful for. So that's my thing. Shalom. Wassalamu alaikum, my brothers and sisters. Uh, konnichiwa, my brothers and sisters. Que pasa, mi amigos. Mi llamo a Wendell Wallace. Bonjour, bonsoir. Je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports. Happy what's up. Happy what's going on to everybody. I am so excited. I'm recording this on a Wednesday night. Or excuse me, on a uh, Tuesday night. November 24th. And... I'm not going to be able to sleep very much tonight. I'm telling you this right now. Whenever I'm done recording this, I'm recording this as I'm watching Chopped here in my town home in Northwest Las Vegas, Nevada. I got Jeffrey Sicarian staring me in the face. I got the wonderful, beautiful, talented Amanda Freitag staring me in the face. I've got uh, Mark Murphy staring me in the face. I've got uh, Tim Allen or Scott Allen or whoever the guy is talking about you've been chopped. Staring me in the in the face, so you know I've got I've got that pumping me up. I've got that energy to keep me going to do this. But also, one of the reasons why I'm so amped because November 25th, finally after eight months, the Georgetown basketball season begins, and I cannot wait. Man, do you hear the excitement in my voice? Do you hear how pumped up I am? It's been too long. It's been way too long. And like I mentioned before, because of COVID, they've taken away the ability during the summer for me to, you know, get my little fix of Georgetown basketball with the Kinner League. So I didn't have a chance to see Kobe Clark play. I didn't have a chance to see Jabari uh, Sibley play. Jamari Sibley play. I didn't have a chance to see Dante Harris play. I didn't have a chance to see TJ Berger or Colin Holloway play this summer. I didn't see the improvements, hopefully, that... Uh, Jamarco Pickett and uh, uh, Jawan Blair made during the summer. I, I I didn't get the opportunity to see some of the transfers like Chudi A. Bile and Jalen Harris and, and, and Don Carey. I didn't see those guys. So I have absolutely no idea. They're playing UMBC tomorrow. I have no idea, no idea whatsoever how good this team is, how bad this team is. I know they're not going to be great, but just I'm just excited. I'm just excited. There ain't too many things going on in my life that, you know, really excite me. I ain't married. There ain't nobody out there who I'm really, like, you know, zeroing, zeroing in on, like, hey, I like her. I'm going to get in a relationship with her. So that none of that nonsense is going on. I don't have any kids. So, you know, very few things in my life, you know, cause me great excitement, cause me great anticipation, cause me great, you know, fervor of, like, yeah, this is coming up. But um, this is one of them. The start of the Georgetown basketball season. I don't know how many games they're going to get in. I don't know how many games they're going to play. They're scheduled to play 25. If they play 16 or 17, I'll be happy. But uh, I'll discuss that later on in the podcast. But, man, I, that's one of the reasons why I'm able to do this podcast a little bit later on in the evening. When I normally record it, it's anywhere like in the middle of the day, earlier in the day, or in the evening. Never at this time period at night because I start to wind down and do some other things. But, uh I might as well go ahead and get this done because I am pumped. I am amped. Georgetown Hoya season is starting less than, what, 14 hours, and I cannot wait. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. But today, 
I'm going to be speaking about what's going down in the NBA mainly. I'm going to save the uh, football talk for a little bit later. I'm going to try to put out a special Thanksgiving podcast in the next couple of days and get my thoughts and opinions about what's happening in the NFL with the Baltimore Ravens now. Is Lamar Jackson overrated and what's going on with Tom Brady and that game against the uh, LA Rams where he threw a a couple of really poor interceptions and some other things that are going on to getting benched in my Miami. What's up with that? Uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes doing Patrick Mahomes type things. So all of that stuff I'll get into later on in the week uh, as far as recording another podcast. But uh, of course, be speaking about the games on Thanksgiving between the Washington Snyder Skins who foolishly won against the Cincinnati Bengals. Man, did we miss a great opportunity to move up in the draft. The Miami Dolphins lost. The uh, Dallas Cowboys, I'm sorry, the Miami Dolphins lost, yeah, but the Dallas Cowboys won and a couple of other people won where it was kind of like, oh, we would have had a chance to separate ourselves and get in a position to draft a couple of really good quarterbacks, mainly failing for fields. But, uh, you know, hopefully we can turn things around and lose to Dallas and get us right back in the position where we can get ourselves a franchise quarterback because moving forward, Alex Smith ain't cutting it long term. So, those are the things that I'll be discussing on my next podcast. But as I mentioned before, it's all about the NBA, baby. It's all about that NBA draft, baby. As you know, the league is going to be starting December 22nd. Ain't no time for no doggone summer league or anything like that, man. So, you know, you got to get this thing up and roaring and ready to go. So the NBA draft was held last week. The top 10 players drafted. Minnesota drafted Anthony Edwards out of Georgia, number one. Golden State drafted James Wiseman, played a couple of games at Memphis, number two. Charlotte LaMelo Ball played in Australia. He was drafted number three by the um, Hornets. Chicago drafted Patrick Williams out of Florida State. Cleveland, Isaac Okuru, number five from Auburn. Atlanta drafted Okinya Okunwu, number six out of USC. Detroit drafted Killian Hayes out of Germany, played in a... Um, uh, German League. Uh, the Knicks drafted Obi Toppin, the best U.S. player in college basketball last year, in my opinion, at uh, number eight from Dayton. Uh, my Washington Wiz drafted Denny Avija, A-V-D-I-J-A, from Israel. And Phoenix drafted Jalen Smith from Baltimore, Maryland. Played at Maryland. I don't know why he didn't go to Georgetown, goddammit, but that's fine. He went to uh, Phoenix at number 10. So, look. I'm going to tell you something right now. I mean, I'm so focused on Georgetown basketball and some of the elite basketball squads. Pretty interesting the fact that Kentucky and Duke and some other Blue Bloods, Kansas and stuff, didn't have any players be drafted in the first five, seven, ten picks. So, you know, guys like James Wiseman, LaMelo Ball, Patrick Williams, Isaac Okuru, Killian Hayes, I gotta mention, the kid from Israel that the Wiz picked, I gotta mention, I'm not too familiar with him, so I can't sit there and break it down, I mean, you know, I had the opportunity of following Anthony Edwards when he was in high school, same thing with um, LaMelo Ball, I mean, that whole saga with the Ball brothers and their father, a couple of them I know, but I mean, I'll tell you, you try to have me break down LaMelo Ball in terms of what he can do in the NBA, you know, right now, I'm just not going to do it, everybody Especially, we're speaking about teams that are drafting in the top 10, teams with the lottery picks. Every pick they have as the night progresses, every pick that they have, 
these prognosticators, for the most part, sit there and say, great move, great move, great move. Minnesota drafting Anthony Edwards. Oh, great move. Now they have the opportunity to go ahead and play with uh, Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell, and this is going to be great. And James Wiseman can fill, you know, a void at the center position for the Golden State Warriors. And Charlotte needs a superstar, a LaMelo Ball, a 6'7 point guard. He can be that guy that can be that, you know, the best passing uh, guard in the game in a couple of years. And Patrick Williams gives Chicago the defender that they need. And Okenye Okunyu for Atlanta. He's a Bam out of Bayou type player. And all, all of these stuff. Obi Toppin for the Knicks. Oh, good days are here again. Hometown kid who's playing for the Knicks. Oh, goody, goody, goody. The glasses, for the most part, for these teams are always half-filled when they go ahead and they draft these players. But, you know... Which team won and which team lost on NBA draft night? I have no clue. You know, everybody goes ahead and starts doing those things. Well, the Minnesota Timberwolves, they won the draft. Well, yeah, they got the number one pick. I, wish, I, I would hope so. Unless they did something completely stupid. By all accounts, Anthony Edwards was the best player in the draft. You could have made an argument for James Wiseman. You could have made an argument for LaMelo Ball. But for the most part, those were the three players that were the leading candidates to be drafted number one. So whoever Minnesota drafted, as far as a winner or loser, 24, 48 hours, 72 hours after the NBA draft commenced, of course the winner is going to be the Minnesota Timberwolves drafting Edwards. Of course the winner is going to be James Wiseman drafted by the Golden State Warriors. Of course the winner is going to be, one of the winners is going to be the Charlotte Bobcats, who drafted, or Charlotte Hornets, excuse me, who drafted uh, LaMelo Ball, but we can't really, I can't really get in there and start breaking this stuff down because A, haven't seen what these guys are going to do at the pro level, B, I didn't even see most of these guys enough in college to really give you a fair assessment about what they can be as pro, pro players, and C, with the fact that again, the regular season training camp is right upon us, hold on for a second, I gotta sneeze. Hold on, five, four, three, two, okay, I'm fine. The fact that training camp is right around the corner for these guys, and it starts in less than a week, who knows what kind of adjustment they're going to make? Who knows, after going to summer league, this is what I need to work on. This is the things I need to get better at. These guys don't even have the opportunity as a full offseason to go ahead and add some strength and add some other tools to their game, so... Who's going to be making a great impact? Who's going to be able to, uh, you know, really do some things right off the bat? Who knows? Who absolutely knows? We really can't judge who won this draft until, what, three or four years down the down the road? Because, you know what, you take a look at, let's take the first five, five play, player, first five players, excuse me. Let's take a look at Anthony Edwards and James Wiseman and LaMelo Ball, Patrick Williams, Isaac Okuru. You know what? You know what those players have in common with Anthony Bennett or Alex Lynn or Jabari Parker or Dante Exum, Jaleel Okafor, Mario Herzonia, Dragan Bender, Chris Dunn, Josh Jackson, Mark Telf Markel Fultz. Just like the players that I just mentioned, the first five players that I just mentioned who were drafted on uh, Wednesday night. Those players that I also mentioned, such as Anthony Davis and Alex Lynn and those guys, those were the players who were drafted between 2013 and 2017 that have been absolute busts that were drafted within the first five picks. Anthony Bennett was the number one pick in 2013 to the 
Cleveland Cavaliers, bust. Alex Lynn was a number five pick for the Phoenix Suns, bust. Jabari Parker, out of uh, Simeon High School in Chicago, who was supposed to pick pick up the mantle that Ben Wilson uh, was supposed to carry when he was murdered his senior year in high school back in uh, 1987. Jabari Parker was that guy who was supposed to take that legacy and, you know, set the NBA world on fire after spending one year at Duke. Well, how many teams has he played now, and how has his impact been in the NBA for, so far in his career? Zero. Dante Exum was a guy who was over in Australia who was drafted by the Utah Jazz. He hadn't done anything. He's been traded multiple times. NCAA basketball champion for Duke University, Jaleel Okafor, was drafted number three, I believe, by Philadelphia. He's bounced around and hasn't done anything. Mario Herzonia hasn't done anything. Dragon Bender was supposed to be the next Dirk Nowitzki, a seven-footer who could shoot and he could run the floor and put the ball on the ground. And he turned out to be more like Nicholas Skilavili, who was drafted number five by Denver back in the day, who didn't do anything. Chris Dunn was supposed to be that point guard coming out of Providence, even though he was 22 years old. Tom Thibodeau drafted him number five with the Minnesota Timberwolves, and he was supposed to be that defensive point guard that Thibodeau just loved and craved, and he was going to be the leader of that Timberwolves team. He didn't work out. Josh Jackson is in the G League. He didn't work out when he was drafted by Phoenix. And Markel Fultz out of DeMatha High School, who made a ride from being on the JV team his sophomore year to being the number one player in the country his senior year. I mean, he's bounced around, and we'll see what he does in Orlando. But the fact that the Philadelphia 76ers spent a number one pick on him, and he turned out to be the bust that he was. None of these guys, when they were drafted, their draft night, their draft year. None of those guys, none of those experts, none of those draft nicks, none of those guys were sitting there talking about Anthony Bennett is going to be a bust, Alex Lynn is going to be a bust, Jabari Parker is going to be a bust. None of those guys said that. Everything was glass half full with those guys. So, look, you know, I, I just, you, you just can't tell. You just can't tell which one is going to be a superstar and which one's going to be an all-star and which one is going to live up to expectations from the 2020 NBA draft class or which one is going to be like Thon Maker or Emmanuel Moutier or Stanley Johnson or Nick Scalkis or Noah Vonley or Ben McLemore or Nerlens Noel. Those were other guys who were drafted in the top 10. So if you take a look, what history tells us when teams are drafting players is that there are more Top 10 players drafted, that will be busts or disappointment rather than living up to expectations. So if you take a look at this, you take a look at the top 10 players drafted, as I ran, run through it again, Edwards, Wiseman, Ball, Williams, Okoru, Okongwu, Hayes, Toppin, Avija, and Jalen Smith. Three or four of these guys are going to be busts. Or three and four of these guys are not going to live up to expectations. Now the key is going to take a look and say, well, who's it going to be? Is it going to be Patrick Williams? Is it going to be Killian Hayes? Is it going to be LaMelo Ball? I mean, is it going to be Jalen Smith? Who knows? Again, I haven't seen these guys. And that's one of the, that's one of the situations where you don't really have a long scouting history of these guys playing in college basketball for these guys to project to how they're going to be when they make it to the uh, NBA. Anthony Edwards is a guy with tremendous upside. His physical talent-wise, he's right there as far as being upper echelon in the NBA. But, you know, here's a guy who doesn't understand what a good shot, when, you know, how to, how to uh, uh, shot selections is iffy. 
Then they also made the point, the fact that, you know what, there's also the situation where, you know, he's never played on a team before that's won anything. How much does that play into what type of pro he's going to be? James Wiseman only played three games at Memphis before he went ahead and because of NCAA violations, which was coming down on Memphis from the time that Penny Hardaway gave him some money or gave his family some money so he could relocate to Memphis going into his junior year at high school. So the NCAA was going to, you know, put the, lay the hammer down on Memphis when Wiseman said, okay, it's time for me to go ahead and get ready for the NBA draft. But I mean, here's a guy who's only played three games in college. And now you're asking this guy to go on a team where he's going to be the starting center for a team with players who have been part of a dynasty not too long ago? How is he going to uh, work with that? How is he going to adjust to that? The expectation. How is he going to take the coaching? How is he going to take to his teammates? I mean, how is he going to get along with Draymond Green? When you're, when you're with Draymond Green, when you're a teammate of Draymond Green, you better bring it every single day to practice, to games, to shoot-arounds, to everything. I'm quite sure Draymond Green right now doesn't give a fuck if you're 30 years old, if you're 19 years old, if you're 15 years old, if you're 6 years old. If you're going to be playing for this team, if you're going to be playing for the Warriors and the expectation and the drive that Draymond Green has to get back to being champions again, I don't think Draymond Green during practice or during the games when those guys are balling, when those guys are working hard, is going to take into account that James Wiseman is only 19 years old when... He needs to be yelled at, when he needs to be scolded, when he needs to be cursed out at. How is James Wiseman going to take that? Is he going to be, I don't, I, you know, is he going to be man enough to take it, I guess? So, we don't know. The LaMelo ball factor. I mean, here's the guy who's jumped around from place to place to place to place as far as his basketball journey has been. It's been a, quite an odyssey and quite unstable. Going from Chino Hills and then going over to play overseas and then going back to play in high school again, and then going back to play overseas in Australia. I mean, how is that going to work out for him? So we don't know. We don't know. But all I know is that out of these 10 draft picks, thirty uh, three to four of them are not going to pan out. And which ones are going to be superstars? We don't know. We don't know. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So when I assess, you know, who did well, who didn't do well on draft night, just, you know, how does the player fit in terms of what the team need is? Like, for instance, if the, if a team needed outside shooting, like if the Philadelphia 76ers had a number one pick, what did they do on draft night through drafts or trades or something before free agency starts? What did this team do to better one of their weaknesses, whether it would be getting a proven player for that particular weakness that they need through a draft or, or uh, did they go ahead and um, make a trade on draft night or something like that to give up their draft pick, give up their draft selection to improve one of the weaknesses uh, that they have. And I mentioned the, the Philadelphia 76ers. They're the team who I thought improved their weakness through uh, trades when they unloaded the contract of, um, and when they uh, got, um, they got uh, uh, Seth, Seth Curry, Seth Curry's brother. And uh, they unloaded the contract to the Oklahoma City Thunder and got back shooters and Danny Green and Terrence Ferguson. And yeah, the Sixers had to give up a first round pick, a second round pick and a right to one of the draft picks, but it improved one of the, if not their weakest parts of their game, which is outside shooting where they traded Josh Richardson 
and the 36th pick to Dallas for Seth Curry. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a guy who, uh, in Curry, who averaged 12 points, shot uh, 45% from the three-point range, and he's only making an average around $8 million for the next four years. That's doable. That's good. That's going to help if the 76ers are planning to stick with the Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons combination for a while. They're going to need someone like a Seth Curry to spread the floor to lengthen the floor for those guys to do some work. As we know, you know, Joel Embiid needs to stay more in the post and Ben Simmons needs to, I don't know, I don't think that man's ever going to be able to shoot a jumper. But, uh, you know, Sir Curry helped them out. I thought the Los Angeles Clippers got better on draft night when they acquired Luke Kennard from the Pistons and sent Landry Shamit to the next, the next, uh, the, the next of the three team deal. So, you know, the Nets received Landry Shamit from the Clippers. They sent the 19th overall pick to the Pistons, which the Pistons used to select, uh, Sadiq Bey out of Villanova. So very glad that he's gone because he used to kill Georgetown all the time. In fact, he's a local kid from the DC area. So, you know, hope he's going to do well with the Pistons. But, you know, I thought that the Clippers on draft night improved themselves by getting them, getting them a shooter something that they didn't have last season for the most part. Lou Williams could score. Paul George, when right, could score. And Kawhi Leonard is an all-around great player. But in terms of someone who could shoot the basketball, who was a quote-unquote shooter, the Clippers didn't have anybody like that other team last year. Now they have one through Luke Kennard. Landry Shamit was supposed to be that guy, but he was inconsistent at best, so... You know, those are the type of things that I look for when we're speaking about, you know, who won and who lost on NBA draft night. Did you draft somebody with a specific need for your team right away? And of course, if you're drafting top two, top three, top four, top five, I mean, it's just a matter of getting somebody who can actually play. Really doesn't matter who they are. If you're, if you're drafting in a lottery, unless you get really lucky, if you're a team that only won 15, 18, 22 games in an 82-game schedule, then nobody on that team should be, quote-unquote, well, let's not draft this guy because we already have somebody at that position. If you drafted a point guard with a number three pick last year, the fact that you won't draft a point guard this season and this year's draft because you already have one, well, that's bogus if you believe that point guard is going to be just as good or even better. Draft them and then make it work because in those situations, you need talent more than you need need but still if you can get both that's when I consider a win-win in terms of moving forward with your franchise moving forward with your program in terms of what that team what that franchise what that organization is going to do to get better Wendell's World of Sports I'm your host Wendell Wallace so glad that you could be with us speaking about what was happening what's going down in the NBA oh the worst story of the offseason you know this right you know exactly what happened. We're speaking about Clay Thompson suffering a season-ending tear to his right Achilles tendon. Shit, man. That's some bullshit motherfucking shit right there, man. The injury occurred during a workout Wednesday in Southern California. Now, a source told ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski, the best in the biz, that based on the type of tear, Thompson has been told to expect that he will make a full recovery. That's good. And Thompson's agent, Greg Lawrence, he told ESPN, that this client is expected to be fully recovered for the start of the 2021-22 season, which is, you know, great, wonderful. What about the 2021 season? Nah, he's done. Yeah, that's what I that's what I thought. I mean, ain't, ain't life a bitch? Ain't life something? 
I mean, depending upon what your belief system is, it's just dumb luck or the Lord has a plan. But, man, you're speaking about a guy, Clay Thompson, one of the good guys, man. Universally loved by his teammates and by the league in general. I mean, he's very uh, easily coached. The guy has zero drama, uh, drama to him. You know, in for the first eight years of his NBA career, he's only missed 25 games. Now this is going to be the second year in a row he's going to miss the entire season. And we have no idea what he's going to look like when he comes back as a player. Now, Thompson's game, I think, helps him to become more of a productive player because he is a shooter, relying on the shooting, his fundamentals, and everything else more than just his pure athleticism. I mean, Clay didn't have a 45-inch leap. He didn't run a 4-2-40. He didn't overwhelm you physically. He wasn't an all-star. He wasn't one of the best two-way players in the game. He wasn't one of the best uh, combo small forward shooting guards in the game because of his athleticism. It was because, again, of his fundamentals and his and his shooting stroke. So coming off an Achilles tear, even losing some of his athleticism, which you would think you would expect when, A, you're going to be turning 31 years old, B, you've missed two seasons consecutively because of injury, and B, again, you're 31 years old. The fact that the drop-off is if he's if he's fully uh if he's fully recovered from the injury it's not going to be as dramatic say if he was someone who was like a russell westbrook type of player or a john wall type of player who relies so much on their athleticism because 39 percent of the players in the nba who tear their achilles never play another game now with the you know, with the technology that the move, the improvements that we've made in technology and everything, and how we, you know, deal with injuries. I expect Clay Thompson to uh, play again, just like Kevin Durant is going to go ahead and play. But you're speaking about a guy in Thompson who last played 17 months ago when he tore his ACL. I believe it was good. Game five in the NBA Finals. What type of player is he going to be moving back? You know, coming back again. The man can shoot. I think the man will always be able to shoot. So I think that's not going to leave his 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 arsenal it's, it's, uh, for something that he can use. But just in terms of the other things, just in terms of how well he's going to be as a defender, just especially that first year back, we're speaking about a guy when he comes back in 2021, 2022, it's not going to be the same player that we're all going to remember. It's going to take him a year. You can't have two major injuries like Clay Thompson had and then have him come back to form where he was an all-star and one of the best two-way players in the game. So, I don't know. It'll be interesting to uh, see. But God bless and uh, prayers out to Clay Thompson that he can, uh, you know, go ahead and uh, start it all over again and get that Mamba mentality going and start all over again start that journey. Once again, the journey begins, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, right? So, you know, we'll see what... Uh, and see what happens with Clay Thompson, Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So the Warriors didn't waste any time. Moving forward, Clay goes down. They went ahead and traded their 2021 top 20 protected first round pick to Oklahoma City, who I think right now has about 57 first and second round picks over the next four years for the uh, rights to go ahead and get Kelly Oubre. Kelly Oubre Jr. was a guy who was with the Phoenix Suns, and when the Chris Paul trade went down, which will speak about a little bit later on, he was traded to the Oklahoma City Thunders, and then he was uh, traded over to the uh, Golden State Warriors. So, good move. He started off his career, Oubre Jr., with the Washington Wiz, a guy with a lot of talent, 
kind of a knucklehead, needed to mature a little bit. He only played one year at Kansas before he was drafted in the first round by Washington. But he's only 25 years old, a veteran of over five years in the NBA. And last season, he averaged 18 points, shot 56% true uh, shooting percentage, which were both career career highs. And we'll, we'll see what happens with him going into the ecosystem known as the culture of the Golden State Warriors. And uh, let's see what he can do in terms of uh, developing some of the other things, mainly playing with some consistency, playing with some maturity, and also uh, playing more consistently on the defensive end. So Golden State, you have Steph Curry, you have Andrew Wiggins, you have Kelly Oubre Jr., you have uh, Draymond Green, and you have James Wiseman. Interesting squad, right? It's an interesting squad when you think about it. Are they as good as the Lakers? Are they as good as the Clippers? Are they as good as the Nuggets? Are they as good as the Utah Jazz? I don't know. I know the Lakers and the Clippers, probably not. But you would put Golden State Warriors right there with the Jazz and with the um, Denver Nuggets. And if you're going to put them right there with the Portland Trailblazers, if you put them right there, that means at the very least or the very most they're going to be the number three team in the in the, in the Western Conference. So, I mean, are you going to uh, bet against a champion like Steph Curry? Are you going to bet against a champion like Draymond Green, multiple champions? Are you going to bet against a multiple championship coach like Steve Kerr? It's going to be interesting. The wild card, I think, is Andrew Wiggins. And look, Andrew Wiggins, the number one pick in the NBA draft, I've mentioned it before. I think some of the blame and I think some of the criticisms concerning Andrew Wiggins with the fact of all the hype that came into who Andrew Wiggins was, starting really when he was a junior in high school, playing over at Huntington Prep in West Virginia. This was a guy who was supposed to be the next LeBron James. Adidas jumped on this kid really early. I mean, really early. Because they wanted to get in front of the line. They wanted to build that relationship because they thought Andrew Wiggins was going to be that guy who had the strong possibility, who had the opportunity and potential to take that torch from LeBron James and be the next face of the NBA. He was going to be that guy because of his outstanding athleticism and the fact that he was six seven, the fact that he has some juice and some wiggle to his game. You know, he could shoot the jumper. He could take somebody off the dribble and take it down the take it down the floor and yam it on him. He had that type of talent. I remember the YouTube clips where he was in high school at the AAU tournaments and LeBron was was there and LeBron was giving him the look like, ooh, this kid is nice. So, you know, he got that kind of, I don't know if you want to call it a blessing or a curse, but when you get the uh, eye raised and the ooh from LeBron James and you're only a junior or a sophomore in high school, you know, people are going to take notice of that. So, from early on in his career, I mean, Andrew Wiggins was labeled as the next guy, as that guy who was going to be one of the faces of the league. He went to Kansas, under, you know, underachieved, really didn't do anything, drafted number one by um, the Cleveland Cavaliers and then traded to the Minnesota Timberwolves to get Kevin Love with LeBron, decided that he was going to come back from South Beach to uh, No Beach, mistake on the Lake Cleveland. And I just think that he's been a prisoner of his expectations. He's not a bust. As the number one pick, all right, let me let me rephrase that. Let me rephrase that because he's not an Anthony Bennett number one type bust. He's averaged what, tw- almost 22 points a game. I mean, he's, almost, he's averaged about 20 points for his career. 
Last season, he averaged 22 points, 5 rebounds. Of course, there were a lot of empty calorie type stats. But the, but the talent is there. Not to be the guy that many people thought that he could be in terms of, ooh, being a superstar, being a, an MVP, being an all-star, all those type of things. But I think Anthony Wiggins has the opportunity to be a number four option, possibly a number three option for a team that has a real solid chance of winning a championship. Many people thought that he would be that number one guy in the league. The number one player, the alpha dog, and all this kind of stuff. But he doesn't have to be that in Golden State. Steph Curry has got that deal. Draymond Green has got that deal. Andrew Wiggins doesn't need to be that guy in Golden State that many people thought that he should have been in Minnesota. Where just a couple of really good you know, flashes and glimpses and little streaks there where, you know, he showed some really good stuff. That's the reason why he got that huge contract, which is another reason why I think Andrew Wiggins has been dogged on. And I think his, I think his, uh, his career in the NBA, you know, much maligned has been unwarranted. Some of the negativity there. Could you attach that player with that contract? If he was making, 10, 12, 15 million dollars a year, then I think it wouldn't be such a big deal in terms of, oh, Andrew Wiggins is a bust and Andrew Wiggins is a joke. Many times it's like, look, we need to get rid of Andrew Wiggins because that contract that Minnesota and Tom Thibodeau gave him was so ridiculous that he's not that type of player to match the salary that he was making. I think he got a near max. And he still got some years left on that contract. But look, man, Jacob Lakeup has is printing money with that arena out there in in Golden State. So once things get somewhat back to normal and uh, the uh, arena starts to become full, whatever full means in the new way, in the new life that we're going to be living, and, and Jacob Lakeup is a guy who, he didn't become a billionaire because he was stupid. Um, he's kind of like what you might call the Tom Brady or LeBron James of making money, of being a capitalist. So I'm quite sure that, uh, you know, the Andrew Wiggins contract is not going to cause Jacob Lakeup to all of a sudden start selling some of his uh, property and start selling some of his cars and start selling some of his uh, uh, his uh, toys, shall we say. So if, if Wiggins can come in and be that number three guy on the team or be that number two go-to scorer behind Curry and let Green and Curry and those other guys do the heavy lifting, along with Oubre, and if he can mature and get better. I think the Warriors, are they going to miss Klay Thompson? Fuck yeah, they're going to miss Klay Thompson, of course. But look, you get Brad Wanamaker, who backed up in Boston uh, last season. He came over. Uh, Damian Lee, Kent Bazemore, Marquise Crisp. I mean, the, the bench is there. <laughs> you know, The bench ain't going to be like Portland's, but it's, it's, it's there. So as long as Curry can stay healthy... As long as Draymond Green can stay healthy, hey, I think, yeah, the loss of Klay Thompson, horrible, terrible, huge. But I think in terms of being viable candidates, I think the loss of Klay Thompson hurts, but it's not a death sentence in terms of the chances of Golden State. If they can get something out of Wiggins and they can unlock Oubre, and it's going to be up to Kerr, it's going to be up to Green, it's going to be up to Steph, 
But if they can do that, I think in the end, when we start talking about, hey, who are the teams in the Western Conference that could unseat, that could usurp the Los Angeles Lakers, who are the true contenders, the four or five true contenders, the name or the franchise or the team that's going to be called pretty quickly in that, it's going to be the Golden State Warriors. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. A lot of things going down, a lot of things happening today in the world of sports. I hope everybody's going to have a safe and happy Thanksgiving if you're living here in the racist, ignorant, selfish states of America. Um, for agency for the NBA, NBA News started on Friday. Of course, the one thing that I want to talk about, the one thing that I find really fascinating is the Milwaukee Bucks and what they're doing to go all in on a, on a championship for Giannis Adenokupo and trying to show him that they're serious so he can go ahead and sign that max contract, that super max contract that could keep him in Milwaukee for five years. But And a deal first reported by uh, Sean Sherenia of the Athletic Stadium, the Bucks had agreed, well, they agreed to trade George Hill, Eric Bledsoe, and three first-round picks and two pick swaps to the New Orleans Pelicans for Drew Holiday. And Milwaukee is going to get in total Drew Holiday from New Orleans and then a 2020 second round pick from New Orleans. And the Pelicans are going to get from Milwaukee, Bledsoe, George Hill, first round pick this year, who I completely forgot who they drafted. And then a 2024 first round uh, swap rights along with 2025 first round pick, a 2026 first round swap uh, uh, uh pick and then the 2027 first round unprotected pick all that from Milwaukee to get themselves Drew Holiday and also on the same day they had also agreed to trade Dante DiVincenzo, Ersan Ilyasova, DJ Wilson to the Sacramento Kings in exchange for Bogdan Bogdanovich who really you could argue was just as important to the Milwaukee Bucks moving forward as it was and them obtaining Drew Holiday but the deal was voided because Bogdanovich reportedly never agreed to the deal. So as a restricted free agent, Bogdanovich has a right to sign an offer sheet with a team, any team, before the Kings have a chance to match the deal. Look like he's going to be signing with the um, Atlanta Hawks. Sacramento decided not to match. Last season, Bogdanovich averaged 15 points, 3.5 assists, shooting 37% from the three-point range. And he was going to be going to Milwaukee to, again, uh, lengthen the floor Really not too many shooters on Milwaukee uh, last season, with the exception of being of uh, Chris Middleton. Kyle Korver was supposed to be there to shoot the three, but he was inconsistent at best. So they were going to get a huge upgrade in that department from Bogdanovich. But, you know, what happened was the Sacramento Kings never really told Bogdanovich he was being traded. And, of course, Bogdanovich, being a restricted free agent, really didn't have to go ahead and accept the trade to Milwaukee, which... He did not. He wanted to go ahead and see what he could get on the open market, which he got a nice fat contract from the Atlanta Hawks for his skills. So, you know, the ramifications of what happened, the sign of trade meant that uh, the franchise would be hard capped at $139 million. And 
That was one of the reasons why, you know, Milwaukee made the decision to go ahead and get second round picks and, and uh, veteran minimums to uh, fill out the roster because they thought Bogdanovich was going to be coming down the pipe. But now since that's not going to happen, Milwaukee has some money to go out and spend, but really don't have a lot to uh, spend it on. So that's what you get when you deal with Sacramento. And I think also the fact that there was a lot of other teams who saw shenanigans and they told the league that, hey, man, this is kind of bullshit what happening, what's happening with uh, Milwaukee and Sacramento, everything that's going down. So, you know, that's the deal. But I think Milwaukee getting holiday, I think they're just trying to make up for the mistake when they extended Eric Bledsoe and then not resigned Malcolm Brogdon. Malcolm played very well for the um, Indiana Pacers. He was the best player with the exception probably of T.J. Warren when they went back to the bubble. And it was a situation where in the middle of the season where they acquired Bledsoe from Phoenix, Milwaukee gave him a $70 million contract extension during the 2018-19 season. And because of that, they weren't able to re-sign all of their free agents. Free agents. They had to give Chris Middleton the max contract, and then they had to uh, re-sign Brooke Lopez. So when Indiana came out and gave and offered um, and offered um, Brogdon a four-year, $52 million contract. I mean, for Milwaukee, that was going to be too much even to begin with. But basically, the nail in the coffin in terms of him, of the team having enough money to bring back Brogdon was sealed, signed, sealed, and delivered when they gave Bledsoe the $70 million contract extension. So in all actuality, everything working out, they got the best player in Milwaukee drafting or getting uh, acquiring Hol- uh, Holiday. They got the best player that was available. He was named the Holiday, if you're speaking about, named to the all-defensive teams in 2018-2019. This past season in New Orleans, averaged 19 points a game on 46% shooting, 35% from the three-point line, 71% shooting splits. He averaged six and a half assists, five rebounds, and two and a half combined blocks and steals per game. He was named also the NBA Teammate of the Year this past season, which you might laugh and might joke and might scoff. But when you're speaking about Giannis and you're speaking about the type of culture, you're speaking about the team chemistry that he's experienced since coming into the league and you're trying to, you know, dot every I and cross every T and making sure that he's going to uh, make the decision to stay with you guys, bringing in a great teammate like Jeru Holiday to continue with the type of culture that Adenokupo is used to, I think that was huge. I think that was that was really big. So um, you really can't discount that. Also, when you're speaking about defense, yeah, is he the three-point shooter that Bogdanovich is? No, but when you're speaking about the players that he can guard, when you're speaking about his defensive acumen, and you know they get to the NBA Finals that you're going to have to go through players such as Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, Kyle Lowry, Jimmy Butler and stuff, um, Holiday is able to go ahead and be able to uh, guard those guys. I'm not saying you're going to shut them down. I'm not speaking about Holiday being the butler stopper or the uh, Tatum stopper or anything like that, but it's a major, major upgrade in that department. So I think it was a good trade. Now, did the Bucks overpay and give up too much for the players that he required? I mean, that's... I don't really don't think so. I mean, the Bucks sent New Orleans the 24th pick in this year's draft. How many of those guys are going to turn out to be players of consequence. And unprotected first-round picks in 2025 and 2027, we don't even know what the league is going to be looking like. We don't even know in terms of, we don't know what's going to be happening with the NBA in terms of 2021. 
So, I mean, w- what could be going down the pike in 2025? If you're John Horn, the GM for the Milwaukee Bucks, man, I understand that part of the GM job is to go ahead and to try to build that foundation for as long as possible. You see someone like a Sam Presti in Oklahoma City. You see someone like a David Griffin in, Oakland, um, in New Orleans hogging first and second round picks, you know, 2023, 2024, 2025. But if you're a fan, man, and you've got Giannis right now, you have to win right now. You've got one of the best, if not the best player in the NBA outside of LeBron James re- right now reaching his prime. 26 years old. You can't worry about what's going to be happening seven years from now, five years from now. You need to win right now. So I understand that Drew Holiday hasn't made a, hasn't made an all-star team since 2013, but you have to show Giannis that you are serious. And guess what? Anthony Davis ain't going to the Milwaukee Bucks. Jimmy Butler ain't going to the Milwaukee Bucks. Kawhi Leonard is not going to the Milwaukee Bucks. Luka Dantich is not going to the Milwaukee Bucks. For every player that was available, any player that was available, outside maybe if you wanted to try to talk the Philadelphia 76ers into breaking up Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, maybe somehow, some way, you could try to talk to Clippers into trying to break up Kawhi and Paul George, even though Kawhi wouldn't be going anywhere in that situation. And do you really want to have Paul George play off P on your team when the postseason rolls around? There's not too many draft. There's not too many trades out there. There's not too many acquisitions out there to be had that was going to be better than the Milwaukee Bucks getting themselves Drew Holiday, and for the players they had to give up. Uh, Eric Bledsoe was a negative, not a positive, when it came to playoff basketball. Yeah, he was really good in the regular season, played good defense and everything like that. Milwaukee isn't worried about regular season right now. Winning sixty something games and all that kind of stuff means nothing to Milwaukee. It's all about what's going to be going down, what's going to be happening in the playoffs. And when the playoffs came, playoff Eric Bledsoe was nowhere close to production or impact than regular season Eric Bledsoe. So everybody that they gave up, Dante DiVincenzo, I mean, he's coming back now to the squad, but there was nobody on that team that they could have given up to get Drew Holiday with the exception of Giannis. And of course, he's not going anywhere to where you would have said, oh man, I can't believe they traded him for Drew Holiday. And that includes Chris Middleton. So I'm not too down too much on the, you know, unprotected first round picks in 2025, 27. Big deal, man. Giannis is going to be 33 years old at that time. Pick swaps in 2024, 2026. That's, that's, that's fine. That's okay. We've seen teams who didn't have any picks finagle their way to get some picks through trades and some other things. So I'm not worried about what's going to be happening with the Milwaukee Bucks in 2025 and 2027. Let's worry about the Milwaukee Bucks winning a championship for the 2020-2021 season. And look, as I mentioned before, Holiday hasn't made a all-star appearance since 2013, and that was his only all-star appearance. He's 30 years old. He's played over 80 games twice in his 11-year career. His second year in the league, and then uh, he played 80 games a couple of seasons ago. He's a below-average three-point shooter. I get all that, and you're still going to have to repay him because he's going to be a he's going to be a, a free agent at the end of the season. So, how much are you going to have to pay Eric uh, um, Jeru Holiday to uh, stay with the Milwaukee Bucks if that's one of the pieces that you're putting around Giannis to get him to stay, or that's one of the pieces that you want? to have if you're going to try to win a championship. It's going to cost 
it's going to cost big time. And then you have to ask the question, will this, will this trade make them the clear-cut favorites over a, Mil, over a Miami or over a Toronto? Philadelphia now with Doc Rivers in charge, got a little bit of shooting. Boston with, uh, uh, with what they're doing with some of their young talent. Does this move, mainly the acquisition of Drew Holiday, does this make them solid or favorites to get out of the East and win the uh, NBA championship? Because I, I think the, I don't, I'm not going to go with Milwaukee needs to win a championship, but they better damn near get to the NBA championship. So now the pressure's on Giannis. What's he going to do? And the Kupo needs to sign that super max extension. Give him up the additional $250 million, a quarter of a bill. Hey, you know, that's, uh, that's some good money. So he would keep, what, 25, going to be 26? Keep him in a, a small market like Milwaukee, which I think is, par- is paramount for the NBA to do. Kind of gets the small market teams. Now, look, it might not be sexy to the uh, major markets. It might not be sexy to NBA ratings. And, of course, if you're the NBA, you want the Los Angeles Lakers playing the Los Angeles Lakers in the NBA Finals, or you want the Los Angeles Lakers playing the Boston Celtics, or if, God forbid, the New York Knicks could get good, you would love to have the Los Angeles Lakers play the New York Knicks in the NBA Finals and everything. But you know what? I think for the health, overall health of the league, it's good when you have a small market team like the Milwaukee Bucks. It's good when you have a team like the Toronto Raptors. It's good when you have some of these non-glamorous, non-NBA free agency destination teams being competitive. And Milwaukee with Giannis can be one of those guys. And with Giannis, he's also going to be a guy that's going to make Milwaukee a free agent destination. All of a sudden now, you have a Dinakupo fly out to, or, you know, apply his talents to to, to to Toronto or Dallas or Miami or something like that. Ain't nobody who's a free agent of any consequence is going to be going to uh going to be going to Milwaukee. But with Giannis there, that's definitely a possibility. especially if you're taking a look at an NBA guy, an NBA player has been through some all star games and everything and he's starting to get near the end of his NBA career and he's more worried now about getting that chip, getting that ring than he is about, you know, making another extra 5, 10 mil on a career where he's probably earned more than 150 mil. If Milwaukee with Giannis is still a contender, is still one of the elites, that veteran is going to be more tempted to go to Milwaukee than say uh, a Chicago or an LA or a Miami or something like that. So we'll see. We'll see. And with Giannis, what do you do? Because now it's like, you know what? Are we going to have to start burning number 34 Milwaukee jerseys if he goes somewhere else? I don't know the mindset. I don't know the makeup of Adenikupo. But you know, according to the New York Times, Mark Stein, the last two weeks have been filled with chatter that Adenikupo indeed plans to sign as five-year Supermax with the Milwaukee Bucks. He had before the, um, he had before the December 21st deadline. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Speaking about what's going down in the NBA is some other deals that happened. Chris Paul is traded to Phoenix. The Suns got Chris Paul and Abdul Nader. The uh, Oklahoma City Thunder, they got themselves Kelly Oubre Jr., who was then shifted off shifted off to the uh, Golden State Warriors. You got Ricky Rubio. You got Ty Jerome. You got a 2022 first-round draft pick. Uh 
you know what? I like I like what the uh, Suns were doing. Paul has two more seasons on this contract, including a player option for the 2021-22 season. Guys owed around somewhere around $41 million this season. $41 million. Chris Paul is 35 years old. Then next season, he's going to be owed $44 million. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns, very, very interesting. Now, Paul, after a couple of down years, he had his best season in a, in a while, averaging, what, 17 and a half points, five rebounds, almost seven assists. He made the All-Star team last year for the Western Con- or you know for the Western Conference. This move really has with Paul. This, this move really has everything to do with two players on the Phoenix Suns. Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. There was a little bit of rumblings. I don't know how I don't know how, you know, concrete. I don't know how, you know, viable it was that you know, Devin Brooker was, you know, wanting to get a trade and was starting to become frustrated and all that kind of stuff. First of all, he just signed a four-year contract, so Phoenix was in no, you know, there was no put a shotgun to the head and had to go ahead and trade him type of scenario. But, you know, there was some chirping that Devin Booker might be looking to move on and all this kind of stuff. Chris Paul is going to make Devin Booker an all-NBA team member next season. Might not be the first, it might not be the second, but I bet you it's going to be the third at the very least. And he's also going to be teaching Devin Booker about leadership, about winning, about professionalism, about uh, those qualities, those intangibles that Chris Paul has in spades. He's going to make DeAndre Ayton, I think, an all-star. I mean, we've seen what he's done for role players, guys who can finish at the rim. Such a guy like when he was with Lob City, the Los Angeles Clippers, and what he did for DeAndre Jordan, what he did when he was with the New Orleans Pelicans for David West. You know, what he did with Clint Capella when he was with Houston. But, you know, he's going to make DeAndre Ayton one of the better young big men in the league. He's going to make that guy an all-star. If not this year, the next year. And I bet you he's going to raise the scoring to somewhere over 20 points a game. So this is a whole situation with the Chris Paul trade was to improve Devin Booker. was all about investing in their young stars. And Chris Paul, at 35 years old, he's not going to be asked to do anything for the long term. And Phoenix is not in a position right now where Chris Paul is their missing piece to go ahead and win a championship. Even with Chris Paul, and even if Chris Paul maxes out on what he can do and what he can apply for DeAndre Ayton and for Devin Booker, the Phoenix Suns still aren't going to be as good after the Lakers or the Clippers or any of the contending teams. But I bet you one thing, I bet you two years of Chris Paul is going to do a world of good for Devin Booker five, six, seven, eight years down the road. Same thing with DeAndre Ayton. So if we're speaking about the year 2024, if we're speaking about the year 2026, if we're speaking about those years in the future, those seasons in the future, because of what Chris Paul is bringing to the team in 2021, it's going to be immeasurable in terms of the impact that he's going to have on Booker, Aiton, and the franchise in general four or five years down the road when Devin Booker is going to be one of the top 10 players in the NBA and DeAndre Aiton is going to be one of the best, if not the best, big man in the NBA. So that's everything that's happening with the Phoenix Suns acquiring Chris Paul. And look, if you're Oklahoma City Thunder, a team that's not going to be challenging this year, get some more draft picks. Get some more players. Get some more things that you can use as collateral or use as ammunition to go ahead and rebuild your team that way. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. 
I, I wanted to save some of this nonsense for last because I remember when it first came out, people were speaking about it like it was gospel, like it was when Anthony Davis said he wanted to be traded to the Los Angeles Lakers and it was only a matter of time that the New Orleans Pelicans were going to be trading Davis to the uh, Lakers. It was almost it was almost talked about in the same amount of it's going to happen when we speak about James Harden wanting to go to Brooklyn. And before I sat there and started talking about what does this mean, who are they going to trade to get uh, uh, Harden, who are they going to have to give up to get Harden, I'm speaking about Brooklyn, and what does that mean, the dynamic of Harden and Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant playing together, what is that going to mean, what does it mean for Steve Nash, a first-time coach who's never been in a situation like that before. Before I started getting into all those discussions, before I started to give my thoughts and opinions about all of that, I just said, wait a minute, this is just something where, you know what, I'm, I'm not... I'm not going there just yet. Yeah, James Harden would love, you know, on that day, maybe that week, James Harden wanted to go ahead and go to the Brooklyn Nets, working out with Kevin Durant and everything, you know, you know, back together again, you reunited and it feels so good, you know, bringing back maybe some of the old Oklahoma City Thunder days when they were teammates and it was like, would well, that be cool if we could go ahead and replicate that along with Kyrie in Brooklyn? So, yeah, you know, I mean, James Harden got the feeling, you know, got the answer to his pants and he needs to dance because no big fine woman was going to give him a chance. And he had turned down a $103 million contract extension. Could have been the first player in NBA history, of course, to average somewhere around $50 million. But as of uh, that time period, he was hell-bent on trying to get himself to New Jer- uh, to Brooklyn. Well, ever since that, this is a story from the New York Post that Brooklyn is no longer focused on trading for Harden. See, the Nets are moving away from big-name free agents and trades to focus on obtaining players around the margin that's going to be complementary to KD and Kyrie, not add on to their superstardom. They wanted Serge Ibaka, but they didn't have enough money to keep him from going to the Lakers. They also wanted to go ahead and get Kent Bazemore. That wasn't the situation. I think Bazemore ended up in... Where did he end up? He didn't end up in Portland, did he? I'll double check. But basically, they didn't get him. So the Nets tried to get Ibaka with the 5.7 million taxpayer mid-level exception. But as I mentioned before, the Clippers came in, especially after the Clippers lost Montrez Herald. They had to uh, fill that need. They had to fill that role. So they went out and got themselves Ibaka. Um, oh, Bazemore went to Golden State. That's right. So instead, they signed Jeff Green to a one-year minimum. Not sexy. Not awe-inspiring. Not headlining, not going to be reaching the front pages of the Post and the Times. But they did what they had to do. And there's still some thought that they could be interested in Nicholas Batum, the former Charlotte Hornets player. Now, Batum isn't the same player he was when he you know, took advantage of all that extra TV money that the uh, NBA got. And they started throwing around that money like it was going out of style. And he took advantage of it and signed a five-year, $120 million deal in 2016 with the uh, with the Hornets. But scoring went from 11.5 in 2017-18, then to 9.3, then to just 3.6 last season, major disappointment. So after exercising his $27.1 million option for this coming season, he was then waived and stretched by Charlotte. So what the Brooklyn Nets would be interested in Batum would be for defense. Here's a guy who can guard some of them wings 
in the Eastern Conference. You don't want KD doing it. You definitely don't want Jeff Green doing it. There really isn't anybody else on that team that could go ahead and guard those small forwards on a consistent basis. Batum could go ahead and do that for you. And again, you wouldn't care about his shots and how many points he scores because when you got Kyrie and you got Kevin Durant, that's basically what you need, especially with uh, Paris Levert, uh, Karis Levert and uh, Dim- Dimwitty. You don't need Nicholas Batum going out there and averaging 15, 18 points a game. So that's what's the new plan for the Brooklyn Nets. Don't go out there and, you know, blow your whole wad on trying to get yourself a James Harden and then figure out what you're going to do with the roster by getting a bunch of uh, retreads, a bunch of G League players, a bunch of minimum wage guys to fill out your roster. Now, just work around KD and Kyrie. Those two should be good enough if you're Brooklyn to be formidable opponents in the Eastern Conference. And then, you know, role players players who don't need the ball, players who do the dirty work. You know, those are the type of guys that Brooklyn's going to be going after. And what the GM of the Nets, Sean Marks, what he said this week was, he said it's very difficult to discuss hypotheticals when they were talking about, you know, James Harden. Basically, they were just saying this is a TBD, to be determined. When they'll start talking again, when they will re-engage, or even if they will think about acquiring James Harden. He said to the post, he said, this is very difficult to discuss hypotheticals. We don't know what our, we don't know what's out there and when it will come to fruition. So in all likelihood, <laughs> because again, the, <laughs> the Harden and those guys, they don't have an entire summer to plot and to stew and to come up with schemes to get themselves out of uh, Houston Look, training camp is going to start for them next week. So the likely scenario, this is according to ESPN again, NBA insider Adrian Wojnarowski, is that James Harden and Russell Westbrook, who requested requested traded uh, trades, they're going to be at training camp. So the Rockets, they've engaged in other teams as far as trading for Westbrook, but they haven't for James Harden. So they've made the case, they've made the, their point pretty clear to say, you know what, we don't mind this uh, environment being uncomfortable for some people, a.k.a. we're not going to trade James Harden because James Harden said he wants to be traded. Uh, he can come to training camp and he can pout and he can do all that kind of stuff. That's not going to, for, that's not going to uh, you know, ease his way out of Houston. So he's got some years left on his contract. Yeah, I know he turned down, you know, $103 million extension. But, you know, with James Harden, that money ain't going nowhere. It's not like if James Harden says, you know what, fuck it, I want to stay in Houston. Those guys are going to be like, no, you wanted to go to, you wanted to, go to Brooklyn. Go fuck yourself. No, no, they'll, they'll, uh, they'll come up with something. They'll, they'll do something. So, again, for Houston, training camp starts December 1st at Toyota Center in downtown Houston. They are expected to have Russell Westbrook, and they're expected to have James Harden right there. So, sorry, James. And especially, with, you know, if Houston even entertain the thought about trading James Harden, according to Tim Bo, uh, 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 Tim McMahon, who uh, follows the Houston Rockets, who who uh, you know uh, reports on the Houston Rockets, what Houston is demanding. Not asking, not hoping, not praying. What they're demanding is, if you want to trade for Harden, okay, you give us a proven young star at the centerpiece along with massive amount of draft picks. 
And which teams could maybe fit those requirements? Philadelphia, if they wanted to trade Embiid or trade Jim, uh, Ben Simmons. Oklahoma City, if they wanted to trade Shea Gilgis Alexander, and they've got a boatload of draft picks. New Orleans, if they would be stupid enough to want to trade Zion Williamson, they have a boatload of draft picks to go along with that, which David Griffin, I don't think, uh, if he wanted to keep a job, even if he entertained that thought, if I'm uh, Gail Benson, the owner of the... Uh, if I'm Gail Benson, the owner of the uh, New Orleans Pelicans, even if I hear that David Griffin is even thinking about engaging in those type of talks, I fire his ass ASAP. Toronto, never count out Messiah Ujiri, especially after what he did in obtaining Kawhi Leonard when he wanted out of San Antonio, was only going to go to the Lakers or the Clippers or something like that. He got his way, at least for a year, and you saw how fruitful that was, that relationship was for Toronto and Kawhi giving Toronto a championship. The New York Knicks, maybe they can move heaven and earth. They've got Mitchell Robinson. They've got, uh, oh, they've got, uh, I know the name of the kid from Duke. Oh, my goodness gracious. Mitchell Robinson and, um, shit. I see him. I know him. The name escapes R.J. Barrett. Gee whiz. Man, finally got there. So, yeah, so they've got some young players that possibly they could, but, you know, look, I'm 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 not you know going to uh, sit there and you know think that James Harden is going to be leaving Houston. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I never really brought into that he's going to be going to uh, Brooklyn. He, he could, he could, but at that time, you know, I think when we got the news, it was just like you know only going to be a matter of you know days or something like that before things were going to be working out to where he was going to be traded. To the Brooklyn Nets, and I, and I never thought that. So, here's one of the reasons why Harden, not just Harden, but also Westbrook and some other players are wanting to leave Houston. And I'll tell you the story here on the podcast, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. According to a new report, you hear this? Harden, Westbrook, and other players, they're revolting against Rockets owner Tillman Fertitta. Why? Because of political leanings. This was on the Odd Couple podcast. The story was on the Odd Couple podcast with Chris Broussard and Rob Parker, NBA reporter, radio host, former ESPN guy, does a really good podcast. Have been talking about the NBA forever. Very knowledgeable. Very uh, has very strong relationships. Very locked into the league. Rick Buecher. He said that the Rockets owner Tillman Fertitta's support of that fucking asshole that's in the White House for only fifty something more days, Donald Trump had led to a revolt, a revolt among the players. This is what he said. He said, I'm hearing that Tillman Fertitta's strong Republican support and donations is one of the things that is contributing to this dissatisfaction. And those two, Westbrook and Harden, are the only ones to, are not the only ones who won out of Houston. Lester players are of the same mind. There is a revolt here because they look at Fertitta as a guy who supports the current president. Ha <laughs> ha Mm-hmm. Okay. Bertita donated over $100,000 to Trump for uh, Republican organizations in 2020. And according to Houston's ABC uh, Channel 13, Bertita donated $35,000 to the <laughs> Trump victory campaign, $35,000 to the Republican National Committee, and $35,000 to the National Republican Senatorial Committee. And Fertitta has also made sizable donations to the same or related organizations in 2019 and earlier. 
So I, I've always said this before. If you're going to support that piece of shit motherfucker that's in that corrupt, asshole, racist motherfucker that's in the White House right now, fuck you. After all this bullshit that he's done, the way that he's fucked up this country, the way that he's divided this country even more, the way he's brought out a whole batch of fucking idiots, who um, the, what he's done to this country, I don't care how rich you are, you can't sit there, especially if you're going to be dealing with predominantly black players in the NBA and sit there and talk about, yeah, you're down with the cause, you're down for this, and you're going to vote for the man who was the reason for those causes. The reason for George Floyd, the reason for Black Lives Don't Matter, the reason for everything going down like it did in the summer, what's in the, what's on the hands, the bloody hands, that murdering hands of that piece of shit motherfucker that's in the White House right now. And you're going to be donating some money to this motherfucker? I don't understand why the players, not just Harden and Westbrook, are like, you know what, man, fuck you. So if you're Tillman Fertitta, you have some explaining to do. Now, look. Tillman Fertitta is their boss. They were under contract. Players can only do so much, especially if you're speaking about lesser lesser players, players of lesser value to the Houston Rockets, guys who aren't making $20, $30 million a year. So they can make their thoughts and opinions known, but as far as the revolt is concerned, where are they going to revolt to? If you're the 7th, 8th, 10th, 12th man, on the Houston Rockets, you might not like Fertitta in terms of uh, of uh, his political, you know, alignings. But where are you going to go? What are you going to do? Just knock on the door of the Phoenix Suns and go to Robert Sar- Sarver's office and say, "Hey, I'm here to play basketball." Where you're going to go ask LeBron if to do you a favor and get you on the Los Angeles Lakers? You're going to be going up to Boston and you know talk to Brad Stevens and say, "Hey, Brad, you know you got room for a six seven uh, small forward who can shoot a little bit." who can play a little bit of defense. I mean, what are you going to do? What are you going to do if you want to get that paycheck, you're going to report December 1st and go from there. Maybe you'll have a meeting with Fertina. Maybe you'll go to the media and air your grievances and air your uh, concerns or air your anger about the situation with Fertina and the current piece of shit that's in the White House right now. But... You know, for the most part, if I'm for Tita, I'm like, I'm sorry, who signs your paychecks? So I would also go ahead and talk to them and uh, get their side of the story and get to the point where it's like, hey, look, you know what? We're not going to be hanging out. We're not going to be buddies. You're not going to be, you know, I'm not going to be naming my first kid after you or anything like that, but we got to make this work. You might not agree to my political affiliations, but... Hey, man, as long as I give you guys the best chance to win, as long as I make this a uh, workplace that can, uh, you know, that we can, you know, get the most out of each other, and as long as I pay you on the 1st or 15th or whatever the stipulation is in the contract on when I see when you guys need to get paid, then, you know, it, it, is, it is what it is. I mean, you don't have to like me when your free agency comes around. If you don't want to be here, that's fine. One great thing is money talks and a lot of everything else walks. There was a lot of players who didn't mind being drafted and going to the Los Angeles Clippers when Donald Sterling was the owner. I mean, as long as you pay me the money, a black black American's head coach, Doc Rivers, he knew what Donald Sterling was all about. He still went there. He still got that paycheck. I mean, he could still kind of somewhat live with Donald Sterling 
when you had the opportunity to work with Blake Griffin and Chris Paul and J.J. Redick and DeAndre Jordan on the team. So, you know, I, I don't like what Fertitta did either. But, I mean, you know, he ain't stringing us by it. He ain't stringing us and, and hanging us from trees and, and anything like that. So, as long as the checks don't bounce, as long as the environment you put me in is conducive to uh, me maximizing my ability to, to work and be happy and put me in a good environment in that regard, I don't need to talk to you. I don't need to see you. I don't need to be friends with you. I don't need to break bread with you. So, that would be my, uh, that would be my thoughts and opinions on that. Disappointed, but... And you know what? A paycheck to paycheck. And there's only 32 NBA teams. And, you know, so it is what it is. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Let me talk about this John Wall situation, talking about stuff that really didn't need to be talked about when it first came up. Oh, my goodness gracious. The Houston Rockets and the Washington Wizards are talking about Trading John Wall for Russell Westbrook, you know, bad contract for bad contract. Oh, my goodness gracious. So when John Wall heard that, he flipped out and he said, you know what? Fuck y'all, man. I want out of here. I want to be traded. I can't deal with this, this, that, and the other. Now y'all talking about this is going to be Bradley Beal's team. Bradley Beal's team. This is my team. Bradley Beal came in two years after I did, and I'm an all-star, and I'm this, and I'm that. So this ain't Bradley Beal's team. This is still my team. So... If y'all looking to build around Bradley Beal, get me the fuck out of here. That was the story. Somewhat around coming out of um, Washington, D.C. concerning the Washington Wizards. But Tommy Shepard, according to Ava Wallace of the Washington Post, she wrote that GM Tommy Shepard denies any rumor concerning John Wall wanting to uh, leave or the Wizards looking to trade for him. Said that Wall was at the team's practice facility in in in, in, um, in D.C. and he said there's not an issue with John and I. There's no issues with John and the Wizards. And then he, what he said via ESPN, he said no, he didn't request a trade. He didn't request a trade. John and I talk pretty much once every every other day, and I've been to many of his workouts throughout the summer. We have always been on the same page, same wavelength. There's no issues with John and I. No issues with John and the Wizards. There's no issues with anybody. And he's talking about, look, I'm looking to build around John Wall and Bradley Beal. And the NBA has become a guard-driven league. So in Tommy Shepard's mind, what he was saying was, we got two of the best guards in the NBA, so why in the world will we try to split them up? We need both of, we, we need both of them. We can be the C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard of the East in terms of two uh, uh, two guards that can be, you know, really dominant in terms of what the team, the direction the team is going, the uh, direction the team is going on and what they're going to be putting down. So, look, the Wizards four, uh, currently have four point guards, so I know they ain't keeping, keeping all of them. But, uh, I don't know. I don't know, man. I, I, you know, it's, look, I know Tommy Shepard, is he lying where there's smoke, there's fire, and maybe the situation with the uh, Rockets and Westbrook didn't come go through. So what is he going to say? Yeah, we tried to trade him, but uh, you know things just didn't work out. Especially when you're speaking about someone like John Wall, who's who can uh, who can get uh, you know be a little thin-skinned sometimes. But you know, I mean, Wall has played just. I mean, this nonsense about we got two great guards and you know it's being so adamant 
about, no, he's not going anywhere. John Wall is not going anywhere. This is ridiculous. And John Wall's going to be part of the team and everything. Hey, look, man, this is the same John Wall who's played just 73 games in the last three years. He missed the entire 2019-2020 season after rupturing his Achilles tendon in February of 2019. He's owed 100, thank you very much, Ernie Grunfeld. He's owed $131.5 million for the next three seasons, along with the 15% trade kicker. Tommy, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but you're being so indignant about, oh, there's no way humanly possible that we could trade John Wall. Man, you better look for ways to trade John Wall. The only problem is because of his contract being so onerous that you're not going to get something that's really going to be able to rebuild the Wizards and rebuild them quickly. I've read the trade scenarios with the Wizards and where they could trade them. I've read the fact that they could trade them to the Knicks and the Knicks would get John Wall and Washington would get Julius Randle and Frank Nilakina and Alfred Payton, two point guards. I've read the stories about him, John Wall, being a fit possibly with a team like the Los Angeles Clippers and the Wizards getting Patrick Beverly and Lou uh, Lemon Pepper Chicken uh, Williams and, and Zubach and a mid-level contract. I've heard the playoffs and I've heard the trade scenario with the Wiz trading John Wall to the New Orleans Pelicans and getting back Lonzo Ball and Josh Josh Hardy played the Sitwell friends here in the district and JJ Redick and Nikhil Alexander Walker. I mean, we, we trade with Chicago for. Uh, John Wall and us getting back Lori Marketing and Thomas uh, Sadoransky, who played with a second-round pick with the Wizards a few years ago, and Thaddeus Young. I've heard all those things, and that's, and that's great. we got to find out a way to see what we can do to trade this guy. Now, are we going to... I don't... I mean, we can only do what we need to do. But I was taken aback, and look, this, these were in quotes, so I didn't hear the... I didn't hear, see the body tone, the body language. I didn't hear the tone of his voice. I don't know how adamant he was. But, I mean, to be so indignant in terms of, oh, hell no, we ain't trading John Wall. Shit, what, are you crazy? This, that, and the other? The man is old again. $131.5 million, and he's coming off a couple of knee injuries. Yeah, he's open for trade discussions. Now, again, I'm not asking Tommy Shepard to sit there and be like, yeah, hell yeah, we're trying to trade this guy. You're kidding me? Look at the man's contract. And once the season starts, depending upon how the Wiz are doing, if John Wall shows anything in terms of possible, you know, um, you know, there's a, there's a possible suitor for the game that he has coming back, well, then we'll re-examine that again. There's no need to, there's no timetable between now and the start of the season to trade John Wall. There's no um, moratorium coming up to where you can't trade anybody in the NBA. I mean, maybe John Wall balls out. And the Wizards decide to keep him. Look good in the uh, look good in the Instagram videos, but even if that happens, and the Wiz starts slowly, I mean, why not raise his um, profile so you can get a little something a little bit better? Because right now, John Wall is sight unseen in terms of what he can do on the basketball court. Yeah, I've seen those things. I've seen those clips in the gym and everything. Until he gets into an NBA game and he plays about 10, 15, 20 games. We're not going to know what type of player John Wall is coming back from two major injuries that he's had. So if you're Tommy Shepard of the Wizards, then why not hold on to him for a little bit longer and see what happens? See how he works with Bradley Beal. See how he works with Rudy Hachimura. Just see what his attitude is, knowing that, you know what, John? This is going to be Bradley Beal's team. Bradley is Batman 
You are Robin. Yes, I understand that you thought that this was always going to be your team. But we didn't think that you were going to tear your Achilles. We didn't think that you would you know, hurt your damage your knee to the point that it did. Times change. Let's see what type of player you are. Let's see what type of player you are for a period of time. And then we'll go forward from there. Because I'm quite sure some of these teams who are going to be needing point guards and more, more than one team in particular being the Los Angeles Clippers, if they like John Wall, if they see John Wall, I'm quite sure the scouts will be out watching John Wall, following John Wall, reporting back to Lawrence Frank and Ty Lue and those guys about what they've seen from John Wall and if possible how he could fit with the team if they decide to go ahead and pursue that option. So... No need for the Wizards to go ahead and trade immediately. I'm still thinking that they'll still be working on trading John Wall. So we'll see. Anything for my Wiz to get to get better. They really didn't do too much to get better in the offseason. And they signed Davis Bertans to a five-year, $80 million contract. So one of the better three-point shooters, at least um, last season he was. So, we'll see. But yeah, for the immediate future, James Harden is going to be staying with the Houston Rockets. John Wall is going to be staying with the Washington Wizards. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Start of Happy Holidays, start of a whole bunch of Christmas and Happy Holidays sales and commercials and all this kind of stuff. Can't wait, can't wait, <laughs> jeez, yeah, I really can't wait. Alright, speaking about teams that did well in free agency, NBA teams that did well in free agency, teams that did not. Let's start with teams that did well, shall we? As we wrap things up, the defending champion, Los Angeles Lakers, or should I say the defending champions, uh, got better this offseason. Dwight Howard left, signed with the Philadelphia 76ers in his replacement. L.A. signed uh, Montrez Harold on a team-friendly two-year deal worth $19 million. I wonder if Doc Rivers leaving the Clippers and then becoming the coach of the 76ers and Montrez's desire to stay in L.A. had anything to do with it. And, and maybe just the culture, dealing with Paul George and some of the things that Kawhi Leonard got away with in terms of when he wanted to play, when he wanted to practice, the laissez-faire type of attitude. The trio or the team or the players such as Montrez and Patrick Beverly and Lou Williams and a couple of others, they were brought up in a Clipper system before Paul George and Kawhi Leonard got there that was similar 
to what the uh, Brooklyn Nets had before Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant got there in terms of hard work, in terms of practicing hard every day, in terms of structure, in terms of routine, and it mainly was brought out or was mainly put together by the coaches. And all of a sudden now you get two superstar or one superstar and one pseudo superstar, at least when it comes to uh, playoffs and Paul George, and all of a sudden now that dynamic is kind of broken up and, and, and frayed a little bit. Because you have one group of folks who are used to doing it one way, hard work, putting in the work every time, sacrificing, playing for each other, showing up for every game. And then you got another fraction who's like, look, man, you know, I've won championships. I've made all-star teams. I've done this and I've done that. I've played for the Olympic team and I've done all these things in my career. And this is how I do it. So you had that certain dynamic which made for a lot of uncomfortable moments and which played a role on why the Clippers didn't live, live up to expectations. So maybe Montrez saw that, wanted to stay in L.A., wanted the opportunity to win a championship, saw that there was an opening, and why not? Why wouldn't you want to play with LeBron and A.D.? And he said, see you later. I'm putting on the purple and gold. Could have gotten a lot more money anywhere else. Could have gotten a lot more money in Charlotte. But he said, yeah, Charlotte, chances of winning the NBA championship, zero. Los Angeles, Lakers, chances of winning the NBA championship, great. Living in Charlotte, North Carolina, yeah. Living in Los Angeles, California, better. So that's what he decided to do. So the Lakers got better in getting themselves the reigning sixth man of the year. Again, had a lot of problems when you're speaking about Montrez, the shutdown, coming back, injured, his grandmother dying, that played a role. Wasn't the same player that he was when he built up the accolades to win sixth man of the year, was completely dismantled in the playoffs by Nikola Jokic in the Western Conference semifinals. But I think moving on to the Lakers, I think that this Montrez that we're going to be seeing with the Los Angeles Lakers is going to be a lot different than the one we saw when he was playing with the Clippers in the bubble, and that's what the Lakers are hoping that they get also. So they replace Dwight Howard with Montrez Harold. They signed Marcus Gasol to a veteran minimum and traded JaVale McGee to Cleveland. So that's another upgrade in that department. They acquired Dennis Schroeder from Kansas City for Danny Green, the number 28 pick in 2020. I think that's another upgrade. I think that um, the last couple of uh, playoff series or last couple of playoffs for Danny Green has showed a great inconsistency of being that three-point threat that he was when he was with the San Antonio Spurs. And because of age, he's not the same defender. So the three and D qualities that Danny Green brought to the table is no longer at the same level that he was a couple of years ago. So you trade that for a guy in Dennis Schroeder who, yeah, he might be a suspect defender in making 38.5% of the three-point shots and 41% of those threes coming off the catch might have been an anomaly when he was with uh, OKC last season. But unlike when he was getting on people's nerves when he was the starting point guard with the Atlanta Hawks, this is a role in L.A. that is going to be similar to the one that he had in Oklahoma City where he was one of the contenders for sixth man of the year, the ability to come off the bench and be an instant scorer and put the ball in the hoop, and he could do it in so many different ways. When you're speaking about the Lakers and you're speaking about the uncertainty because of the fact that they spent so much time in the bubble, the fact that they did win the championship, and now with a quick turnaround, if I'm Laker organization, I'm Laker brass, and I'm looking at a guy, LeBron James, who's already put in over 50,000 minutes in his 
regular season 17-year NBA career, over 50,000 minutes, where you're speaking about a guy in Anthony Davis who has the propensity to sometimes come down with some nagging injuries that could affect his playing time, affect the amount of games that he plays. The Los Angeles Lakers, we're defending champions. We've got two of the top 10 players in the NBA. We've got arguably the greatest player in the NBA right now. Why in the world are we going to worry about the regular season? Just get us somewhere in the playoffs. I mean, hell, we don't even know when playoff time rolls around where we'll be playing these games. We don't know if we'll be playing them in a, in a remote bubble. We don't know if we'll be playing them in front of how many people. So home court advantage and other things might not mean as much this postseason than it has in postseasons before. So look, man, whether it be the number one seed or whether it be the number eight seed, if you're the Los Angeles Lakers, just get me in the playoffs and LeBron and AD and those guys will do the rest. So um, if I'm the organization, I'm, look, you come out for ring night on December 22nd, AD, LeBron, and all those guys, you come out for ring night, then you go ahead and you play the, um, you play the Thanksgiving Day, uh, the uh, Christmas Day game, then you take some time off, and we'll see you back when we play the games on Martin Luther King Day, and then we won't see you again until maybe possibly the middle or near the beginning of February, and then we'll take it from there. That would be my deal if I'm the Lakers regarding LeBron and guarding and regarding Anthony Davis. And now with the team that you have built around them, hey, look, we know Paul Gasol, Mark Gasol is, is old. Mark Gasol really didn't ball out, especially against the Boston Celtics in the uh, NBA playoffs last season. So the type of responsibility, the, the amount of responsibility that you can give him is going to be a lot different. He ain't that guy that was playing for the Memphis Grizzlies along with Tony Allen and Zach Randolph. So that's going to have to be catered a little bit. But you, you got guys like Schroeder. You got guys like KCP who you resign. You got someone like Wesley Matthews who signed a one-year veteran minimum. He can provide some minutes. What I'm saying is that the Lakers, even without Anthony Davis and LeBron James, say, for instance, if they decide that they're going to take 20 to 25 games off, I still think those guys, the Lakers, have enough talent on that team that they can keep it afloat. So when those guys come back, AD, LeBron, and you can stagger how many games those guys play. I mean, both of them don't have to miss the same amount of games, but I would be very cautious, very judicious in how I, how many minutes do they play those guys. There's going to be a lot of game, there's going to be a lot of load management in the NBA when you're speaking about teams like the Lakers and the Clippers. Denver with Jokic and Murray, those guys are young enough to where I don't think they're going to be that uh, that that affected by the short layoff. But, you know, same thing with Boston. But, you know, maybe a team like Miami in the Eastern Conference, something like that. You're going to start seeing a lot of guys who are going to be load-managing games. So I think in terms of the depth, depth on these teams this year is going to be more important than others to get them through uh, what would be a shortened offseason to go ahead and play another 70, 72 games uh, in such a short amount of time for them to rest and recover and uh, get better in their in their craft. But I think the Lakers are built to withstand that, and some of the offseason moves that they made clearly makes them a winner when it comes to the free agency and the fact that, you know what? Hey, has Houston got better? Has Utah got better? Has Denver got better? Portland has got better, but how much better have they gotten in terms of challenging the Los Angeles Lakers? So not only did the Lakers get better, their contemporaries, their opponents, their rivals didn't move the needle up as much as the Lakers did in improving their team. 
they're already the king of the hill. No one has usurped them in terms of the talent that they acquired in the offseason to make them the better team, at least heading into this uh, offseason, heading into this regular season. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So the Lakers had a very good offseason so far. The Portland Trailblazers, I think, had a very good uh, offseason. I think they understood the... Uh, what this season was going to be all about. So they went ahead and traded for Robert Robert Covington from Houston, giving up Trevor Ariza, the number 16 pick in 2020, and then a heavily protected 2021 first-round pick. You know, Robert Covington, pretty decent defender, good 3-and-D shooter who could spread the four for Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. They did not, then Portland went ahead and traded for Enos Cantor, and some backup minutes for Harry Giles. If you remember Harry Giles, the number one recruit, played one year at Duke, had a bad knee, got drafted by Sacramento, showed some flashes, but couldn't remain healthy on a consistent basis. So now he's picked up by the Portland Trailblazers. He'll be good, especially he can be some insurance just in case. Um, oh, the kid from Gonzaga, uh, Zach, Zach Collins. He's going to miss the opening part of the season because of knee injury. So, you know, it allows the, the pickup of Venus Canner, the pickup of Rodney, of um, of uh, Harry Giles, allows Zach Collins to work his way back into the lineup more effectively and cautiously and not rushing him in there. Uh, the Trailblazers also signed Carmelo Anthony, re-signed Carmelo Anthony and Rodney Hood. So putting all of that depth, putting all of that talent, putting all of that around C.J. McCollum, and Damian Lillard, I think that the uh, Trailblazers did a really good job. Teams that didn't do well, Boston Celtics. Yeah, I know they went ahead and signed Tristan Thompson. And I understand that, you know what, the main reason why I think the Boston Celtics lost to the Miami Heat had nothing to do with Jimmy Butler. Or the main reason wasn't Jimmy Butler and the main reason wasn't Tyler Hero. The main reason why the Celtics could not beat the Miami Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals was because of Bam Adebayo and the mismatch, complete mismatch that Miami had over Boston at the center position. God bless you, Daniel Tice and Robert uh, Robert Williams. So getting Tristan Thompson, the guy who's won an NBA championship, a guy still even at his age still has the ability when you switch that you can go ahead and you can take, he can go ahead and defend a perimeter guy pretty well. And I think his length and I think his athleticism can also help you out when you're speaking about Bam Adebayo, you could just sign himself a max contract. I don't think it's going to stop Bam, but he's going to do a lot better than Daniel Tice would. So I think that was an upgrade. But Gordon Hayward leaving Boston to sign with Charlotte and Boston not getting anything for him, that hurts. That sucks if you're a Boston Celtics fan. He just declined, Hayward declined a $34.2 million player option. And then agreed to a four-year, $120 million deal with the Charlotte Hornets. Damn, that sucks. And really, this is the third player of consequence to lead the team without Boston getting anything back. If you think about it, Hayward left. Al Horford left the Celtics to sign with the uh, Philadelphia 76ers and since been traded to the Oklahoma City Thunder. And Kyrie Irving, who left and went on to the uh, Brooklyn Nets. So I guess you can say, and this kind of all started with not just Hayward's gruesome leg, leg injury, I mean, that foot injury, but also you mix that in with the fact that Cleveland's, the um, the trade that Boston made with Cleveland for Irving, you guess you would have to now consider that an, an, a bust. 
when Danny Ainge was considered an absolute genius and a half when he first acquired those picks from the Brooklyn Nets when um, Brooklyn traded their first-round picks for <laughs> for Paul Pierce and Kevin uh, Kevin Garnett. And Ainge got himself a bunch of picks from that. And also got a couple of nice picks, I believe it was when he traded for traded Tony Allen to the Memphis Grizzlies. So there was a bevy of first-round picks that the Celtics were sitting on, and they were waiting for that right player. They were waiting for that right time to use some of those highly valued picks to get that player who could put them over the hump. And they were discussing Anthony Davis. They were discussing Jimmy Butler. They were discussing Paul George. They were discussing all of these guys. Like, who is going to be the person that's going to, uh, who's Boston going to acquire and give up, finally give up those picks? And the leading contender with Anthony Davis, especially when he came out and said, you know what, I don't want to uh, be in L.A. Any- I don't want to be in New Orleans anymore. I want to be in L.A. But when Anthony Davis couldn't give the Celtics a guarantee that if you trade for me, I'll go ahead and sign a long-term contract to play on your team. That's when Danny Ainge, the Celtics organization, backed out. So with all of these all-stars and players that were rumored to be the guy that was going to be going to the Celtics for these picks, it turned out to be Kyrie Irving. When he was traded for Isaiah Thomas and Jay Crowder and Anthony Zidix and Brooklyn's 2018 unprotected first-round pick, and it didn't work out. Irving was the one guy probably in the history of sports that couldn't get along with Brad Stevens, couldn't get along with the young players. Players couldn't understand, get along him with him. So you mesh that in the fact that this was supposed to be a team moving forward that was going to be Irving, Haywood, um, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. That was going to be the team that was going to be supposed to be one of the elites in the Eastern Conference. And then you could just plug in any old center that you want to. And you would still have someone like a Jalen Brown and some others uh, coming off the bench and such. Well, in that regard, the Celtics really don't have too much to show for it. And my thinking was, and everybody else's thinking was, is that when Hayward declined the option or, you know, opted, opted out of his contract, that he wanted to go back to Indiana. And there was some discussion that Boston was trying to do a sign and trade deal to where Hayward would go to Indiana and the Celtics would get uh, Miles Turner in return or something like that. But then he turned around and they said, <laughs> and then Hayward said, what, Charlotte's giving me $120 million over four years? Have they seen my injury history? All right. No problem. But let's put it this way. We knew that when, not we, but Celtics fan knew that if Hayward opted out of his contract, the Celtics were not going to be able to re-sign him. So I'm not blaming the Celtics saying, oh my goodness gracious, you should have, you know, matched the offer and should have signed Hayward and everything like that. First of all, I don't think Gordon Hayward wanted to stay. If you take a look at the landscape and you saw, you know, the fact that he was going to be playing behind Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum for the remainder of his career. And if he wants to be a starter, that definitely wasn't going to be the place in Boston. But also, he was instrumental more valuable than anyone thought, especially in that series against Miami, to where he seemed to be the only guy who knew what to do against a zone when Miami would go zone. So is Boston better now without Gordon Hayward? Yeah. Are they going to be in a free fall because he left, especially with the Celtics acquiring Tristan Thompson and former 
all-star point guard Jeff Teague to back up uh, Kemba Walker? No. But still, the fact that they're not a team that is good today as they were yesterday or as they were when they were competing for the Eastern Conference Championship means that in this offseason, the Boston Celtics took themselves a step backwards. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us, speaking about what's happening, speaking about what's going down in terms of trades in the NBA. How about this one? My goodness gracious, Lord have mercy, man. The Charlotte Hornets, wow, signing Gordon Haywood to a four-year, $20 million contract. <laughs> oh, boy. So with the Hornets now waving and stretching Nicholas Batum so they could get him off the book so they would have enough money to go ahead and sign for Gordon Haywood, they're spending an average of $39 million a year for the next three years for Gordon Haywood. Haywood, $30 million, and then the $9 million in dead money that they're going to be paying for the Nicholas Batum deal. So in all actuality, almost $40 million for the three for the first three years of this contract for Gordon Haywood. And Haywood told ESPN that Michael Jordan called him to close the deal. You had to have the GOAT give you a call to convince you to go to Charlotte. Forty, uh, $120 million over four years for a 30-year-old Gordon Haywood who's still coming off a gruesome injury. That wasn't enough to entice, fully entice Haywood to go to the, to the uh, Hornets. You had to have Jordan give you the call and give you the pitch. Yeah, something tells me this, this just ain't going to work out. But look, this is the curse of being a bad team. In a non-free agent destination like Charlotte. The franchise has always had to overpay for players. Bizback Biombo. Remember he had a great series when he was with the uh, Toronto. What was he was with? Oh, he was with Toronto. Played well against Cleveland. Then that got him a big money deal with Orlando. And that didn't work out. So he didn't sign a four-year $72 million deal with the uh, Hornets. Nicholas Batum signed a five-year $120 million deal. That didn't work out, obviously. Terry Rozier signed a three-year, $56 million contract. So Charlotte has been one of those destinations. Same problem as Detroit and Cleveland, Minnesota, Sacramento, Indiana, Utah, Atlanta, Milwaukee. No free agent of impact is going to go there over places like New York or Brooklyn or L.A. or San Francisco, Miami, Dallas. Unless that market has a superstar playing for them. Ain't nobody going to be going to Charlotte, North Carolina over Los Angeles, California or Dallas, Texas or Miami, uh, Florida. Those players ain't going to be doing that. So because of that, you have to entice. Nobody's taking a package deal to go to Charlotte, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, nor Charlotte, Oklahoma. Charlotte, Oklahoma, I heard it was just absolutely awful. But then again, I mean, what the Heatles did, ain't going to be no Heatles situation in Charlotte, North Carolina. I don't care how many players play for Duke. I don't care how many players play for North Carolina. When they're done with the state of North Carolina, they are done. Unless they get drafted there. So because of that, because these teams know that they can't get themselves a LeBron, they can't get get themselves a Kawhi, they can't get themselves a James Harden, they can't get themselves a Giannis type of player, they have to overpay to maybe hopefully get the next tier type of guy to go to their team. So a guy who might be, I don't know, a guy who on a championship team might be a 2B type of player, maybe the second, third best player on the team, 
They have to overpay him and pay him like a guy who's a number one because other than that, they're not going to be going to that destination. And that's exactly what happened with Charlotte. Gordon Haywood, if everything was even, wasn't going to be interested in going to Charlotte. The only thing that put him over the top was the fact that they way overpaid for him and gave him that security. Other than that, he wasn't going to be going to, to uh, Charlotte. And then what were you going to be looking at? A team of what, Devontae Graham and Miles Bridges and, and uh, Frank Kaminsky? Is Kaminsky still on the team? I don't even think Kaminsky's still on the team. But, uh, yeah, I think Kaminsky's with uh, Phoenix. Um, who else? Uh, Cody Zeller? I mean, that team stinks. That team hasn't been in the uh, playoffs or done anything in the playoffs. They've been consequential in the NBA for almost a decade. So, I mean, why not swing and miss? Jordan's a billionaire. You know, his place in Miami, it, it ain't going nowhere. So, but still, it's uh, just something. Maybe maybe drafting LaMelo Ball. Maybe LaMelo Ball becomes the star that everyone thinks he can be and hopes that he can be. I mean, that's the type of player, especially the way that he plays. He's such a great passer that might entice a player who could really elevate the organization to uh, go there, to think about going there. LaMarcus Aldridge, when he was a hot free agent, when he went to San Antonio, why? Not because he loved San Antonio. He went from Dallas. People were talking about, well, yeah, he can go ahead and see his kid more often. Well, I mean, you know, Dallas to San Antonio, that's not a that's not a, a car ride away. But the fact that he got to play in a great organization, play for a great coach, and at the time they still had Ginobili and Parker and Tim Duncan and those guys, and those guys were still vying for championships, enticed. Aldrich to go ahead and do that. So he skewed going to the Los Angeles Lakers when they didn't have a plan just except to say, we're the Lakers and you get to live in Los Angeles. That was something that might have been, that was, that was rare. But because of Tim Duncan and those guys, it enticed at the time one of the top free agents to go to San Antonio. When Greg Popovich retires, ain't nobody going to be going to no goddamn San Antonio. Hell, even when Greg Popovich is still there, ain't no free agent destination. No, no free agent of any consequence is going to be going to San Antonio, Texas. So that's the problem with uh, being a franchise, the Charlotte Hornets. But you can't put you can't put four different franchises in L.A. You can't put three different franchises in. San Francisco, you can't put seven different franchises in the uh, New York surrounding area. You can't put four different franchises in the uh, in 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 uh, in, Flo in uh, Miami, in South Florida. So it is what it is. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Speaking about the winners and losers of the NBA free agency, here's here's one. What about the Denver Nuggets, a team that was uh, very competitive? Knocked off the Clippers, came back from 3-1 to one to beat the Clips and beat the Utah Jazz. Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, two of the young, promising players for the future who could be superstars, MVP candidates, those type of things. Well, the Nuggets took a step backwards, similar to uh, what happened with the Boston Celtics. Jeremy Grant, he signed with Detroit for three years, $60 million. You know, that's a, that's a situation where, you know, that's a big, uh, that's a big uh, loss for the Nuggets. Torian Craig signed with Milwaukee, so they lost some of their, they lost some of their depth with that. So we'll see how that's going to work. The D how, what, what, the, what in the hell are the Detroit Pistons doing, by the way? 
forward and centers that the Pistons signed this offseason. They signed Jaleel Okafor, Mason Plumley, Dwayne Dedman, Tony Bradley, Jeremy Grant, Josh Jackson, and drafted Isaiah Stewart from Washington. And they still have Blake Griffin on the team. What in the hell? Is anybody going to bring the ball up? Is anybody going to initiate the offense? Is anybody going to defend the perimeter? Is anybody going to... What, what in the hell is going on there? They um, traded Luke Kennard for... for uh, what, what are the... What are the Pistons doing? So, didn't understand that one. Overpaid for Jeremy Grant. I mean, he had a great series in the playoffs for Denver, but still giving him, what, an average of 20 mil a year? Three years, 60 mil? All right. I don't know what you're going to do with all these players. They signed Plumley. They signed him. They didn't invite him. They didn't invite Jaleel. They didn't invite Dwayne Detman. These guys are under contract. Who's going to shoot the ball? Who's going to initiate? I don't know. I don't know. And again, with Blake Griffith still on the team, how are, are you using him as a trade chip? Are you using any of these guys as a trade chip? You can't do it with uh, Jeremy Grant and Mason Plumley, Isaiah Stewart, you're not going to be able to trade him. Josh Jackson, no one's going to want him. Tony, Tony Bradley, no one's going to want him. Jaleel Okafer, no one's going to want him. So I have no idea. Poor Dwayne Casey. I don't know what the hell Tony Weaver the GM for the Pistons is doing down there. Did the Clippers do anything this offseason to keep up with the Lakers? They used their non-taxpayer level exception at a Serge Ibaka. I think one of the main things with Ibaka is the fact that he was great friends. He, he built a great relationship with the uh, with Kawhi Leonard. But both of those guys were in Toronto. So I think as far as the locker room is concerned, I think it's going to bring a little bit more cohesion. I think it's going to bring a little bit more love and unity and togetherness. Uh, Baca is that type of player. He can still hit the corner threes. He's not the rim protector that he once was because he's not 25 years old anymore, but he's still a guy that can um, play down low. He's still a guy that can get you some buckets. And I think that uh, he might not be an upgrade. I think him and Montrez Harrell play a different type of game. Montrez is better on the pick and roll than Ibaka is, who's more of a pick and pop guy. But uh, I think for what the Clippers lost, I think they uh, did a good job in getting Serge Ibaka. Now with the Clippers, what the hell are you going to do in terms of getting yourself a point guard? Because who's going to play the point? It ain't going to be Paul George. It ain't going to be Patrick Beverly. It ain't going to be Lou Williams. Who exactly do you have that's going to be able to play the point? And where do you go to get somebody who can play the point for your team? Who's available out there? I mean, I would have accepted someone like a Jeff Teague who's right now backing up uh, Kimball Walker in Boston. Someone of that ilk, someone of that caliber, I think would have been a good get for the Los Angeles Clippers if they're just going to stand pat with the players that they have right now, with the team that they have right now. But with the Lakers doing everything that they did to improve their team and the Clippers last season beating their chest, talking about we're, we're the new Kings of L.A. when it comes to professional basketball, a quiet, disappointing offseason for the L.A. Clippers. So we'll see moving forward. But uh, the NBA season, training camps open in one week. <laughs> oh, man, it's almost like you never left. But the NBA is back.
Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Let me end it with the most exciting thing that I want to talk about tonight while watching Chopped. I am out my, here in my humble abode town home in Northwest Las Vegas. Georgetown season is about to start. It's been the longest eight months I've ever had concerning this team. No Kenner League, no AAU tournaments to go take a look at Georgetown recruits this summer in Vegas. No AAU uh, big one, the, the Nike 64, whatever. They had games with Bishop Gorman all over the uh, all over the high school gyms out here. Didn't get an opportunity because of COVID. They'll be playing later on this evening or later on today against UMBC on the Georgetown campus without fans, which is no big deal because when it comes to Georgetown playing at home in the Cap Center, no one watches them play anyway, so they should feel right at home with that. Last time they played them in uh, December of 2019 they beat them 81 55 um take a look at the non-conference schedule all the games are going to be at mcdonough gym on campus you got umbc then you got navy west virginia coppin state and then the regular season is going to begin december 11th against villanova where they're going to get absolutely smashed and then their conference games are going to be after villanova at home against connecticut then on the road against st john's and seton hall and then they play Syracuse. Now, they play Seton Hall on December 23rd. Then they're off until January 9th playing Syracuse. And that's just a way to go ahead and try to minimize the uh, opportunity for those guys to come down with COVID. If those guys do come down with COVID, they'll have some time to quarantine and everything. So they're doing anything humanly possible to try to go ahead and try to get into 25 games that they're scheduled to play. Uh, the record, when I take a look, but they get UMBC, Navy, don't know too much about Navy, West Virginia's top 15, Coppin State is from the MEAC, so that's an easy layup game for them. So coming out of the non-conference slate of games, if you take a look at Maryland, University of Maryland, Baltimore County, UMBC, then Navy, then West Virginia, then Coppin State, if I'm expecting three and one, I think they should beat UMBC and Navy and Coppin State, they're going to lose to uh, West Virginia. And no worse than 2-2. Two and two. They might have a hiccup between Navy and UMBC. But Coppin State is going to be a win. And either one of those games between Navy and UMBC, if they go 1-1, one and one, coming out 2-2. Two and two. And then you take a look at the first four games of the, uh, the season, the conference games. They should be somewhere between 1-3. and three. I'm hoping they're not going to go 0-4. Oh but uh, they should at least be St. John's. They'll be playing in front of nobody when they play St. John's, I don't know if they're going to be playing at Madison Square Garden or not, but they're going to get smashed by Villanova. They're going to get beat pretty well by Connecticut, and they'll probably would lose on the road to Seton Hall, but they should be able to play or beat St. John's. So there you go. There you go. I like the starting lineup. Jalen Harris, Javon Blair, Don Carey, Jamarco Pickett, Cutis Wahab. I'm expecting good things from Cutis. I'm expecting better things from Jamarco and... Javon, two of the seniors that are on the team, they're going to have to carry the load. I'm expecting uh, Carey, the transfers from Siena. I'm thinking that he's going to be able to contribute well. I think they've got themselves a solid point guard for what they want to do in Jalen Harris. Unlike the point guard before, James Akinjo, who wanted to shoot the ball almost every time that he touched it, even though he was shooting 30-something percent from the field, 20-something percent from the three-point line. This guy, Jalen Harris, the transfer from Arkansas, he's more of a pass-first type of point guard, so that'll be a welcome uh, addition coming off the bench. You have such players as 
Damien, uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, the Harris kid, Timothy Ego Hefe, um, Jamari Sibley, Kobe Clark. So I'm just interested to see what this team is going to be all about. I know that the defense must improve. That's one of the things that I'm going to be looking for. Coach Ewing to see if he can establish himself some type of defensive pressure, some type of defensive acumen. You take a look at Kempom, which is the adjusted defensive measure, which goes all the way back to the 1996-97 season, somewhere around there. The Hoyas, before Patrick Ewing got there, averaged a ranking of like 38, with eight seasons in the top 10 and a low ranking of 97. In the three seasons that Coach Ewing has been at the helm, their defense have been, has been 119th, 133rd, and 125th. Now, when you have a backcourt of James Akinjo and Matt McClung who couldn't guard anybody, when you have an undersized power forward and Josh LeBlanc who had trouble, and when you had guys like Jesse Govan who wouldn't body or guard anybody, when you had someone like an Omir Yurt 7 who wasn't really a rim protector or a defensive presence, those things are going to happen. But my goodness gracious, you got in the world of John Thompson Jr., you got to do a lot better than that. Georgetown ranked 313th defensively in defending the three-point shots last season. Got to do better than that. Must do better than that. Please do better than that. So this season is all about building. This season is all about improving. I don't give a damn. I've said it before. I'm ready for a season this year that's not going to have many games won. I don't think that Georgetown's going to finish at the bottom of the Big East, but I do think that they're going to be a team that's not going to win too many games. That's going to finish, uh, best case scenario, 7th or 8th in the Big East. But here's what I want. I want to see continued development from not only uh, Judas Wadhab, but also his backup, T- Timothy Ego Hefe, the sophomore center. I want to see one of the freshmen, two of the freshmen at least, go ahead and uh, improve and get better or at least show something for the future. I don't know if that's going to be Kobe Clark. I don't know if that's going to be Jabari Sibley. I don't know who it's going to be, but I want to see somebody, Colin Holloway, I don't know who it's going to be, but I want to see someone play the season, one of the freshmen or two of the freshmen that's going to say, hey, you know what? That guy in a couple of years, that guy's going to be uh, a stalwart. That guy has all Big East type of potential. I want to see what Don Carey can do because he's going to be on the team for another two years. So that's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm looking for. And I'm looking for Georgetown to be good enough to where the class of 2021 Namely, Ryan Matombo and Jalen Bigginsley and uh, Tyler Beard and and uh, the athletic kid uh, from from New York, whose name I forgot right now because it's getting close to one in the morning and I'm really flipping tired. I want to see, I, I, I want those guys to be encouraged enough to go on campus and help turn this team around. So that's basically it. So that's my deal for the Georgetown Hoyas. So I'm just chomping at the bits to uh, go ahead and watch them play. So that's it. I'm done. I'm out of here. Next podcast is going to be about some football. going to be about the NFL. So until then, y'all be safe. Do the right thing, please. Wear a mask, please. Go ahead, six feet apart, please. No huge gatherings, please. Let's get this done. Let's get through this. The vaccine is not going to be the end all, the be all, and the vaccine ain't coming for a while for a lot of us. So please be smart. Please use common sense. Please be responsible. Please be unselfish. Please use your brain. You know, a lot of things that people in this country don't do on a regular basis. So let's see what we can do to go ahead and get this done. All right. Thank you. Have a good one.
Music. <laughs>